Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bobbity-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop. Yeah, we're recording. I think that's everybody's favorite part of the whole thing. And I'm going to be a complete jerk right at the onset. And uh, a lot of you guys talk to me about that theme. Well, first, hi. Welcome to the Packfeller Podcast. I'm Pat Bulger in the studios. I'm here all by myself. Paul, none of the guys are here. But my point, and I had to bring this up during the theme, because I feel like a complete jackass because I can't for the life of me Please don't take offense to this, dear person. Remember the name of the guy who composed this for me. This is an original piece of music that he made for the Pack Filler podcast. That intro, you know, that that it sounds like royalty. He did that because I am a knight of Sufferlandria, which is, some of you might not mean much, but with the Sufferfest videos, congratulations, by the way, to all those who competed in the recent tour of Sufferlandria. And if you don't know what this is, don't mock it because it's a it's a brutal week-long event where you're doing these horrific, I call them hit training event uh, videos because they are really good interval types of rides. And you do them like two or three a day or something like that for a full week. And it's brutal, you guys. It is brutal. So anyway, I am a knight of Sufferlandria. That's my point. And he did that at the beginning to make it sound like it's some sort of a royalty thing, right? And he was kind enough to send me this entire original piece of music. And I can't remember his name. What's my point? Not really sure. Not really sure. But thanks, dude. I really appreciate the theme. And even if anybody gives me shit about the intro, they don't mean to give me shit. They mean to just say that it's the theme and they like it. There you go. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. Did I say I'm Pat Bulger? Well, I am Pat Bulger. 
I am in studio. It is, uh, well, this, when this was recorded, it is a uh, Saturday morning, very early in the morning. I don't have any beer in my bloodstream. I actually have coffee in my bloodstream. And I'm doing a little bit better now. This is after the interview was actually recorded uh, with our guests on the show today. Um, but beforehand, you're going to notice that I'm a little stammery, a little bit more than normal. I just kind of all I'm all over the place. And I honestly think it's my voice, my brain. It's a perfect example of what it's like on stimulants as opposed to depressants. So maybe I just need to... No, I'm not going to give up coffee. That's never going to happen. But there we go. Wow. Uh, this episode was... Um, we've had our guest on before, on Mariah Rook. And I think I, I sure hope I pronounce her middle name right. I think last time I might have said Anne-Marie Rook I, on the intro. I said Anne Mariah. I think I asked her, but my senile brain tends to forget things if it's not written down in front of me. She, at the end of the interview, actually referred to herself as Anne-Marie Rook, but I'm going with Mariah because it's got a J in it, and that just makes it, I don't know, it's Dutch and it's cool. So so there we go. Um, Mariah's been on the show before talking about her career. She is a, uh, a journalist. She is a cyclist, and uh, as, she, as her website says, a professional storyteller. All things life on two wheels, and not just that. She doesn't just cover cycling, but she is a very strong voice in it and a very good proponent and a person who understands especially the elements when it comes to women cycling. And I don't, and I said this in the podcast itself, I don't want to turn this into a men versus women, us versus them, them versus us. I want to turn it into a, a discussion about cycling and, and make cycling I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get on a high horse here. I, I, Anne Mariah has a much better perspective than I do. It was good to t- touch base with her. She lives in Portland, which isn't too far away technically from here. That's where my kid goes. So um, if you, I, my kid should follow her on Instagram so he can see where she's riding so he doesn't have any excuses. But that's a family thing. But um, Anne Mariah is preparing for this, this, this adventure, I guess we could call, coming up here. Uh, for, oh, I don't know, 21 days in July. If you know what I mean, you're going to know what is going on. I'm going to let her do the descriptions, and I'm going to let her do the, the plugging for everything. But if you get a chance, you guys, check out Peloton Orange, or Peloton Orange, if you're an American like me, and um, go check out what this is all about. They can't do this alone. And I wanted to get this at the onset of the show that they can't do this alone. And I think it's a really cool concept. It's a really cool cause. And I don't know, support it any way you, you, you feel appropriate. Um, go check it out. I'm, I'm looking at uh, pelotonorange.cc. It is, is currently in Dutch, but I think you're going to get the idea of what's going on. And they're also starting a, a crowdfunding opportunity there. So um, I wanted to get that out before you got to the interview because some of you guys don't listen to me after the interview is over. You know who you are. You do. You know who you are. This episode, once I get to it, brought to you by our friends at Scratch Labs, scratchlabs.com. If you have not tried the hot spiced cider hydration, you guys, it, it brought me back to my childhood, which some of you might know was a damn long time ago. It's so good hot. And you know what? I also figured out their recovery, their chocolate recovery is like... When you were a kid, did you have Swiss Miss hot chocolate and you put like five heaping uh, tablespoons into the hot chocolate? 
this is that hot chocolate. It, it, it's back, you guys, but it's for adults. And if you no, it's not for adults. But, well, if you put a little whiskey in there, it's for adults. But <laughs> it's delicious. I was giddy, like giddy, like a school child last night drinking this stuff. Great stuff. Big thanks to them and also to our friends over at Gooder. Gooder.com. I have my beer goggles. I'm not wearing them right now because it's I'm indoors and that would be weird. I'd be like the Corey Hart song. Corey Hart? Corey Haim. Corey Hart. I think it was. Boy, that's not a good ad for them. But boy, and check them out. Uh, Gooder's got all kinds of fun stuff. And their tongue firmly planted in cheek, but the eyewear is absolutely brilliant. Thanks to both those companies. You guys, on Mariah Rook on the Packfiller Podcast. Today's guest is a returner to the show. We were fortunate earlier to gain her perspective previously on the Colorado Classic, and now we get to delve further into her passion for all things about life on two wheels, and I'm stealing that line directly from her website. Welcome back to the show, journalist, coach, and cyclist, Anne Mariah Rook. How are you, Anne? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good, Doing great, thanks. Hey, you know, first of all, I, I want to get into this as someone who follows your Instagram, and I, I don't want to seem as a stalker, but um, it looks like... You're getting a lot of riding in this this year already. I'm trying. Now it's been a mild mild winter here in Portland, so best spend on two wheels. Yeah. Well, I I I've got a kid in in school over in Portland, and I honestly I'm not going to let him have any more excuses for not riding now because I can just say, well, dude, I know that it's riding weather. Is there anything as no riding weather? <laughs> oh, you're far stronger than I am. Um, and I do have to say a lot of the terrain it looks like you're riding in those images appear to be of the gravel flavor. Is that, can I adjust that as, as true? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I like this time of year especially just to get out away from the roads and um, go out in nature. I mean, I prefer that in general. I had a, a bit of a falling out with road cycling in recent years. And found uh, that I really enjoyed being in the dirt, but um, I fell in love with road cycling again at the end of last year, and uh, I better because I have some big goals this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna get to that, but but you know, and I don't know if we got too much into this on the last episode you appeared on. But um, can you? Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Okay, we just had some, now it's something on my end. Is before I hit the recorder, we had echo, but now it was something going wrong. But there, we're good now. Um, can you give me some perspective as to how you came into cycling? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in Holland, the Netherlands, and uh, so basically, you know, I grew up cycling, not as a sport, but as a way to get around town. And you I mean started by commuting when I was six, so the bike was always there. And then in college, I tore my MCL a third time. Oh. And for re- yeah, for rehabbing, they put me on a bike, and I fell in love with it as a, as a hobby as well. And so I just started stacking up the miles, you know, starting off with like 20 miles and then 30, and then next thing you know, you're riding 100 miles. Yeah. And I did the Seattle to Portland when I moved to Seattle. Um, which is a very popular ride that people do. It's uh, 200 some miles between Seattle, Washington, and, and Portland, Oregon. And 
I just absolutely loved it. Uh, my partner at the time was like, you are no fun to ride with. Maybe you should go race your bike. Uh, I was a little too competitive, perhaps. Um, so I did. I joined a racing team and then just fell absolutely, you know, head over heels in love with, with racing. And um, it became my, my everything. It became my, uh, my hobby, my way of life, the way I get around town, but also eventually my job. So yeah, that's my bike story. Now... Y- your website says that you you took a break from racing, quote unquote, in 2018 due due to a concussion. Um, is there a story behind that injury and and how that came about? Yeah, 2018 was for me personally just a really bad year, like one of those confluences of everything just just going wrong, uh, health, life, job, the whole thing. And uh, I was in a in a big pileup during a during a bike race, and it cost a very bad concussion that I at the time grossly underestimated oh, wow. and was day uh, symptoms and what was so bad about it is that I had a concussion I didn't treat it as I should have and two weeks later I'm on a little recovery ride and I got hit by a car oh god um, so I was already concussed and got t-boned by a car in Spokane actually oh um, great. and then I came home from the ER and I'm like all bandaged up and on drugs and there was this notice on my door that said, oh, we're increasing your rent, you know, exponentially. And then I was like, I'm out. And I moved to Portland and uh, everything has been going uphill since in a good way. So Spokane in this podcast so far has to mention that we've got crappy drivers, but maybe good medical care. <laughs> this is true. You know, the irony, too, was that it was an ER doctor that hit me. And so oh, she was like, shit. do you just want to get in? I'll give you a lift to my work. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. So come to Spokane. Stay for the medical care. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So then I switched to, to dirt mostly. I was just done. And I'd ridden mountain bikes uh, for a long time, but I just... Gave that more of a focus yeah. as well as just relaxed gravel adventuring and taking away, you know, any of the competitive side and just enjoy being on two wheels for the lifestyle. And um, to be honest, I thought I would miss racing more. Uh, and I haven't. I mean, I've done little competitive things because I still have that yeah. that competitive nature. But I did, you know, an ultra marathon running and I did a Xterra, like random things that I never did before because I was so focused on on racing my my bike so it's been fun so how about your history in journalism where how what was your path into the field and and especially when it comes to cycling based yeah that's all very coincidental i uh started in politics political journalism uh i was a un scholar i wrote political columns um very much in the advocacy world and when i moved to seattle i just did community news at a newspaper that later folded like so many other newspapers yeah. unfortunately and eventually I when I started racing and I was looking for more information about you know the women I was racing against and and what was the pro scene like and all that I couldn't find a whole lot and I um being from Holland I'm multilingual so I got most of my my uh news from other sources uh, in Europe and even there it was very limited so I just started putting some stuff out there myself um, I wrote for Podium Cafe and then Psyching Tips eventually reached out and asked about my interest and if I wanted to, uh, they wanted to start a women's site and would I be interested and wow. things just kind of fell in place. But 
yeah, I never set out to be a sports journalist, that's for sure. Wow. And then th this opportunity, you were one of the main voices behind this most recent Colorado Classic. Um, so you're, what are your thoughts on that event and the future of that event and how everything is, is shaping up when it comes to that? Yeah, so I'm helping uh, the Colorado Classic on their PR site and their you know social media marketing. Um, so I'm I'm very very intimately involved with that event, and I think it's great what they're doing and, and just flipping the script and running with the women's race when that is very unusual. It's yeah. it, usually we see the women's race disappear and the men's race uh, continues, and so for them to flip the script and and put all their resources into a world-class women's race versus, you know, two uh, struggling races. Uh, I think it's fair to say that they were having some, some issues here and there. Yeah. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's, uh, it's one of the best run races I've seen. And it was a huge uh, success, at least in terms of from from my perspective as as a follower, as a fan. Um, the events it seems to have attracted uh, quite a bit of notoriety, and it seems like it's on a good track. Yeah, I mean that was just the first year, and they had um, live streaming, free streaming from yeah. start to finish, every single day around the world. Um, they had great competition, good courses. Uh, and also the racers experience was, was really high. Um, what people may as fans may not have seen was, you know, it was so well run and so many small touches that make the racers feel that much more comfortable um, that it, w it was, you know, an immediate racer favorite as well as fan favorite. So uh, I think they started out really strong and it's only going to get better. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in, in a previous comment about this this concept of when some of these events start to falter, usually it's the women's race that gets canceled first. I believe we can both agree that there's pretty big disparity when it comes to the issue of women's cycling when comparing that to that of men. Um, and, and I hate to use the word compare. Do you believe we should be comparing the two when it comes to the sport in general? I know that's an odd question. but Ooh, Yeah, no, that's a big question. Um, yes and no. I think we should compare it into the opportunities that they're given, into the publicity they're given. In terms of what the actual competition looks like, they're two different. Uh, they're the same umbrella sport, but two very different uh, um, competitions of their own. I think women's racing, the, the dynamics is so different than men's racing. Um, and the funding definitely is significantly different yeah. between the two. And so comparing them isn't always my favorite. I think we should compare them in opportunities, as I said, but yeah. in terms of what they are and what they offer, it's it's a very different sport. I mean, it's been, especially in cyclocross, really fun to watch how different the dynamics are when, you know, you've got all these really strong female racers. Like, I don't know if you watched this year's Cyclocross World Championships, but there was no telling until the final turn who was going to win that yeah. race. Whereas in the men's side, you know, it's been the Mathieu Van der Poel show for a while now. And uh, that's really brought a lot more fans and perspectives to women's cycling, I think. Yeah, and to be honest, it was kind of funny watching the Cyclocross Worlds when it comes to that with, with Van der Poel taking off and, and riding away. That one is what many people would previously call a really boring race. Yet you're hearing all this press going, wow, what an incredible show of strength and all this. One, what a great race to watch. And I was going, wait, are you, did you watch the same race I did? The women's race, as you said, was far more exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's because um, there's more strong riders coming up in the women's sport, and it has been for several years now. 
But I think because there is getting, uh, there's more attention, more funding, and there are some more opportunities, you're going to just see the sport get better and better as there are just more candidates. Do you think this, this is a broad question in terms of the state of women's cycling. Do you see it as getting better, worse, or staying the same? Oof. I think overall it's getting better. Really? Uh, there's a whole other argument that site racing, road racing especially, is not getting better. And obviously that affects both the men's and the women's. Uh, the Yeah, the men's and the women's side. Um, I think the sport is changing. And you see even with the race like the Colorado Classic, which is a is a road race, they're putting gravel in there yeah. uh, with purpose because that's what fans want to see right now. And I think general road racing, as it's been historically, is changing. There's less interest in that. And uh, I think we're going to see that. Um, and we're already seeing it on the calendar right now with fewer race opportunities on the road than most recent years I've seen. What do you think are the causes for this disparity? Why why are races dwindling? Is it the is it the, the sponsorship dollars? Is it race organizers or is it you know development programs? What do you think? Yeah, that's the the question they're trying to answer right now. I think it's uh, very very costly to put on races to get permits to get um, the safety crew. Um, and then the, the interest just isn't there. I think people just don't have interest or attention span to follow, uh, you know, three, four hours of racing every day for 21 days, you know, with the tour. Because even the tour has had dwindling uh, spectators and dwindling views. And um, one-day races are far more popular. Yeah. I mean, like I said, look at Cyclocross being very popular right now. You've got an hour of entertainment and then people are satisfied and they move on. I don't think the... Just maybe it's something about our culture, about wanting instant gratification and yeah. and shorter attention spans. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's it's part cost and part uh, fan interest. Do you think is that a global trend that you're seeing? Uh, because you know, here I am in the states, and I know that people, you know, we're a fast food culture here, where everybody wants everything immediately. And to sit down and watch something like that, I know that you know, USA, we need somebody to score a point every. 35 seconds or something like that but in europe is that also happening i don't know i mean like i said the in general the tour numbers are are so, declining so they're not getting any better so that might be an indication that indeed it is shit <laughs> so <laughs> and like maybe you know maybe if they start putting gravel or more roubaix like stages in the tour things will get interesting again i think it's just been the same for too long and there's a general appetite for new and, and innovative and, and more entertaining racing. You know, people want a spectacle. Yeah. Great. We're going to turn into, you know, crit racing for, you know, that's, that'll be the extent of it. That's, that really makes me sad. <laughs> so are there, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it just become too predictable, too controlled by numbers yeah. and, you know, headsets and who knows, like maybe if they get rid of, of, uh, well, there's a whole other question. Yeah, well, <laughs> to get no, rid of, of the headsets and power meters and everybody riding specifically the, types. To, no, not power meters, but like, the, you know, the car is controlling everything. Yeah, they yeah. Talk into that little earpiece. Air yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Communication with the directors who basically use riders like robots or something like that. <laughs> and I, you know, we want more heart. We want, you yeah. know, I think one of the reasons like Peter Sagan is so popular is because he, you know, he's got. 
he races with with uh, an interesting style and he's aggressive and he's entertaining and you know people are drawn to that yeah are there any riders or groups or teams or anything like that that you see on the women's side of the sport that are getting it right that are actually taking us in a new direction Uh, I think in the women's sport, we're still what what a new direction means is stability. It's it's um, offering salaries, offering uh, pregnancy leave. I think that is uh, making waves right now is being able to actually uh, meet basics. I mean, before we can meet the basics, um, we shouldn't even talk about making things, you know, different or entertaining. These, These people first need to be able to feed themselves, you know. Yeah, I've, I've talked to several high-end women's racers who are talking about the fact that they have to have a second job or they're, they're living in a friend's house when they're not out on the out traveling to a race or something like that. And that just absolutely blows my mind when you've got, especially a, an organization such as, let's say, Movistar, where they've got a men's and a women's team, and you've got riders living at, on incredibly high salaries, and then you've got the extreme other end of it. It just... It makes you shake your head. I, I understand that there's a larger audience for the men's right now, but really? Yeah, I mean, that's why like teams like like Trek, who, you know, did that great thing by hiring uh, Lizzie Dyer, and even though she was pregnant, and making a statement in, in that way, and, and uh, those other bigger teams that are um, stepping up to being a World Tour team and offering, you know, a minimum wage for everyone. Like, those, that's what we're talking about women's cycling. Yeah. Like before, we're talking about changing the sport and making it more interesting, and and focusing on the fans. We got to focus on offering these athletes, you know, real wages and and medical insurance and the basics. Yeah, jeez. So let's get to the actual issue here. You're you're involved with Peloton Orange or Peloton Orange if you're an American like me, uh, which is in an effort at the front of this issue. Tell me about what this group is about and what they're doing. Yeah, we have joined the the effort of uh, this French team, um, which started riding the uh, entire Tour de France, the men's Tour de France, um, a day ahead of the the actual race to you know bring attention to the fact that there is no multi day women's Tour de France and to bring awareness about equality in sports. And so this year, uh, there's three different teams riding it. Oh, wow. There's a Dutch team, Peloton Orange. There's an international team and there's the original French team. And the whole idea here is, like I said, is to show that, you know, women can actually do this, even women like us who aren't necessarily pro riders by any means. And to bring attention in, in a big way to show that, A, we can do it, B, there should be equal opportunities in sport, and C, to empower and inspire other women to go chase their dream. You know, if you've ever been to the tour, um, I don't know if you have, no. but... Um, there's families there on the side of the road. Like people camp out. It's a big party, and you know they hang out forever just to get a glimpse of the tour coming by. And so you know we're riding for that little girl who's there with her family, you know, waiting for Tom Dumoulin to come by, and she gets to see us, this group of women, come by and know that maybe one day she too can ride the tour just like her brother can see when all those men come by. Yeah. Okay, 2,200 miles, um, uh, 21 days. Um, first of all, is, is the tour organization at in any way behind this or involved with this or in support of this? 
No, no, no. The ASO is not a big fan of this effort. Really? Love seeing it. They don't like being critiqued for not having a multi-day women's tour. Um, and wow. in previous years, in fact, they tried to sue the French team for uh, Le Tour. Actually owned, but um, yeah, they're they're not a big fan of this, and which I don't know, only feels fuels the three teams to go and do it and bring attention to this. So, so basically, you guys are just going to be out there, open roads. Um, just you know, hey, these roads are ours. We can use them too, and we're going to just ride the course. Exactly, and we are inviting people to come join us too. They're not. We're we're limiting it to how many people can join us day in day out. But you know, we want to show like empower people that they can chase their dreams and ride big stages, and you know that they're more they're capable of way more than they they may think. And so we are inviting people to come join us because they are open roads, and uh, um, get to see the same stages as the men are riding. Wow, is how is this going to be shared and and promoted? I mean, is there a way for people to, that they're going to be able to follow your efforts? Or is it just going to kind of be a social media element? Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll be on social media. Um, we're working with some of our, um, some of the sponsors that we already have and um, are, are currently trying to find um, on pub- uh, publicizing it on their websites as well. We'll do some vlogs. We'll do some articles. We'll do opportunities like this, podcasts, yeah. just to bring awareness to what we're doing, but also to invite people to come follow us. Um, but yeah, we have a um, we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a website, all of which is just called Pillars of Orange, and uh, we do invite people to come and follow us virtually if they can't make it yeah. to France themselves. So I know this might sound like a, a odd question, but what is the what is the overall goal out of this? You know, what do you hope that will come out of this trip when you guys come home? Yes, obviously some form of awareness, but but is there? I mean, does the, does the tour, do the organizers finally say, okay, let's sit down? I mean, that is that an ultimate goal, or is, what What do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't think that's realistic. No. I think, uh, like I said, there's a huge advocacy effort, and I think the other part of it is just, uh, you know, bucket list for, for all of us writing. Yeah. To write the tour is a pretty tremendous bucket list for anyone who's a who's a cycling fan. Um, but, yeah, we, we would like to... In general, bring attention to the sport and and to the to the fact that there a is women cycling, um, which a lot of people are like, oh, women can actually ride their bikes as pros. And yes, they certainly can, um, <laughs> and that there is no women's Tour de France, which in this day and age seems a little ridiculous. They have a, a one day, la course, um, but no multi day Tour de France. And um, we've seen in recent years that there's been more and more women's editions of uh great classic races you know the Amstel gold and um there's a lot of uh racers that have joined the calendar um the women's world tour calendar now that weren't there before and i think it's it's only a matter of time before there's going to be another women's tour de france i'm just sorry i'm just kind of taking all this in because it just seems uh, it seems like such a no-brainer um is is your ride supported? Are are you guys? You you mentioned teams, so immediately I automatically think of some sort of a competitive edge. Is this a? a, a are you guys? Is, will there be? Do you think any any competitive elements with in regards to it? 
I mean, we might go for the occasional Q, QM, <laughs> you know. Um, there's a lot of climbing, so there's going to be some some QM chasing. But in general, no, it's it's more of a you know an effort to to invite people along and and inspire people to go and and do it themselves as well. And uh, we'll have support. We'll have cars. Um, we'll have some. Um, physical therapists and swannies and whatnot, um, because 21 days, uh, 2,200 miles, 164,000 feet of climbing, that's that's not an easy feat for no, anyone. No. And you're going to need to, uh, you're, we're going to rely on the support of those people that get us through. But no, it's, it won't be competitive, but it will be well supported. We're also having a documentary crew that started following last year and they'll be following us again this year oh, wow. to capture it all. And the, the goal of that documentary is is big time to, to push for a, a women's Tour de France, a multi-day women's Tour de France. So this is something that did happen in the past. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to mm-hmm. speak on, on this show to Marianne Martin, who was the first women's Tour de France champion uh, back in 1984, yeah. I think it was. Was it 84? Yeah, it was 84. Um, and... 85 maybe anyway who cares um well i care it was pretty cool to talk to her about it um first of all it was happening it was something that existed and and i know that the organization putting on the tour is not at a loss for financial means um do you think a women's tour should happen at the same time as the men's we do have there is another pretty large uh, race that happens in conjunction at the same time with with the men's tour but uh, it's the it's in italy if I'm not the Giro, mistaken, yeah. yeah, the Giro, women's zero, which was a freaking amazing race too. Um, should this? Do you? Th- is this something that should happen in conjunction, or is this something that you think should be a, kind of a separate event? As we don't get into the comparison element like we talked about earlier. You know, it's it's difficult, right? Because the calendar is such that it doesn't allow for it, and I think it's actually uh, like a injustice to the women's sport to have the tour and and the women's gear at the same time because it takes away the attention from one uh and gives it solely to the other and so yeah i think it should happen in conjunction and i don't personally i mean i know it's it's far more complex than we we may make it seem but when the core the, the courses are already um set out you've got the fans there you've got the media there i don't understand why it's uh it's so difficult to have both at the same time. And and the full course, you think this is something that we should do? Hey, 23 days, 23 days, straight across both races, both groups, <clears throat> everything like that? No. No, I think a women's, uh, in my personal opinion, I think a women's Tour de France should be one that um, shows women's strengths uh, to their best. And I think what makes women's cycling so entertaining as a sport is that they are very very aggressive races and they're uh they're so aggressive because they're shorter and so they have the racers have less time to show what they're they can do and to make it interesting and i think because of that women's racing tends to be more um active um you know oftentimes in in longer stages you don't see a whole lot of action early on because people are trying to save their legs for the finale and so i think uh personally i think having a women's tour it should be you know however these racers want it to be i mean uh fans can ask all they want but really we should be asking the riders what do you want like how would you want to race and i think making them race the same stages as the men's i'm not sure if that's gonna deliver the most entertaining of of bike racing to be honest so it's it's that whole argument right like 
what does equal opportunity like look like? And in my opinion, it's like give everyone a race and yeah. how that race uh, plays out or what that looks like is up to the riders. It doesn't have to be, you know, mile for mile and uh, it doesn't have to be matched the same way, but there should be an opportunity. Yeah. And, and as we were saying just earlier on about the fact that some of these long races, these six, seven plus hour races aren't gaining the popularity. So maybe something like you say with a little more fireworks might be something that could could bring in more of a viewing audience. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I think if there there's going to be a, a multi-day women's tour de France, it's, it's put that question before the riders. What, what would you want it to look like? Um, and it's fully possible if they've shown with other racers, ASO puts on a, a fair amount of women's races. Uh, you see all the classics, you know, there's a men's race and a women's race. They race part of the same course. So making it shorter or picking out only the, the highlights of the courses shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. So what's your preparation been like? Are you thinking about this? Is this, an, <laughs> is July already in the back of your head? Uh, I mean, this is no easy feat. It's <laughs> it's basically doing 21 centuries back yeah. to back with a shit ton of climbing. So, <laughs> uh, as someone who has taken a break from racing and gotten quite out of shape, it's uh, <clears throat> it's gonna be yeah. I'm I'm gonna have to get in as many miles as possible. And uh, not being you know a pro racer, uh, don't have the benefit of just getting out on my bike every day for four, five, six hours. So, yeah, taking in as many miles as I can on the weekends and. Uh, yeah, do my best to prepare uh, with limited time. It'd scare the shit out of me. I'd be, honestly, I'd be freaking out at this point. And I don't want to make you do so, but it's like, holy God, that's a lot of of miles in a very short amount of time. Yeah. It's, and as you say, especially yeah, if you have to work for a living. Yeah, I can't think about it too much because it'll freak me out a little bit. Cause it's like, whoa, that's, you know, you're in the saddle like eight hours every day. Like, that's... <laughs> Not just the fitness. Like I think, like oh, okay, once I have my fitness, like my legs will will keep pedaling. It's the little things, like oh, back pain, knee pain. Like yeah. it's those little things that'll creep in, um, you know. And it's twenty one days. Like, yeah, it's a it's a lot. I mean, I don't know about you, but I personally have not um, written that many centuries in a row. The no. most I've done is two in a row. I, so. I haven't done any in. A, I mean, I've done single rides, you know, hundred mile rides, and then I, I'm, you know icing everything down the next couple days but not, i can't imagine doing it like let alone 23 times uh now just to even do it twice it's <laughs> i think you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> but you it, know that seems to be what most people are saying but, you know we've got, <laughs> we've got a, a point to prove is that we can do this and uh i think you know i, I very much look forward to this this challenge yeah. i really do enjoy a nice challenge. I can't wait to ride these these beautiful roads in France and having a team and, and doing it with you know ten or nine other Dutch women and wow. um, twenty nine other you know international women. It's it's gonna be great. It's uh it's gonna be hard and it's gonna have all the elements of a good bike race of suffering and you know the elements and everything else. But in the end, it's the camaraderie and and the shared mission that we have that's going to pull us through. This is a stupid question, but I can only imagine the logistics of the entire thing. I, I can oh. imagine that every hotel is booked a year in advance. Uh, was there a a method to the madness to be able to book all that, or do you have, you're just letting somebody else handle all that? Yeah. So as you can imagine, this is not just a, a physical uh, endeavor. This is also a hugely costly and yeah. endeavor and logistical nightmare. Um, and so, I mean, like I said, we're not 
a pro team or anything. So we're just all of us have have another task. You know, like we're training, but we're also, you know, uh, five of us are in charge of doing the the booking of the hotels. Another mm-hmm. group is in charge of getting sponsors because, as I said, this is very costly. And and so, uh, yeah, we're all working very hard to to make this happen. And um, I think most of our hotels are arranged at this point <laughs> because you know we're uh, looking ahead and it's not that far away. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's an absolute logistical nightmare because. It's oh. the tour, you know, it's the whole France gets behind it. So, yeah. And it's, um, and it's not a month ahead. It's a day ahead, which means everything is, I'm, I am imagine just completely booked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, I mean, we're looking at wherever we can. Uh, yeah. I know that in previous years there were, you know, hostels, there were definitely like very many, uh, towns away to, to yeah. find some lodging, but Yeah. It's uh, oh wow! It's, it's also it's not going to be a luxury where we, you know, we get on our bike, we ride, and then get off. We still have to, you know, transfer and and then during our off time uh, in cars and transfers at the hotels, we we also make make time for you know interviews and and the advocacy component of of all this. Wow, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool. I can only imagine how 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 cool of an opportunity this is going to be. So how can people follow your efforts? And, and second of all, let's say somebody wants to support what you guys are doing. How do they get involved? Yeah, great, great question. We, uh, um, so we have a, a website, peltonorange.cc, and um, same on Instagram and Twitter. And we're going to start a crowdfunding campaign here in a little bit um, to, you know, finalize our, our costs. Um, and then, um, We'll, we'll update our website too. Right now it's very um, Dutch focused for the Dutch team anyway. And uh, we're changing it a little bit to, to be more international as, you know, because I'm in the U.S. We have someone else who's in Luxembourg and a, a third writer who's in South Africa. And we're realizing that while we're all Dutch, we're kind of spread all across the world and trying to get a little bit more of a, a widespread following. Uh, but yeah, on those websites and on social media, you can follow us. Um, shoot me a personal note if you want to get involved somehow. And, uh, yeah, we'll do our best to get the story out there and entertain people along the way. So people can find you directly. I, I follow your Instagram. Are there any other methods you think are probably as effective? Um, Instagram is really where yeah. I post most of the things. Okay. Uh, when I start writing a few more things, it'll be on my website, amrook.com. And then, as I said, um, Peloton Orange will be the, the main site for our team-wide activity. Um, we're uh, as a team. We're we're riding the Amstel Gold Sportif. Um, are you there? Yeah, I, I, I heard the Amstel Gold Sport, Sportif was right where we left off. <clears throat> yeah, so as a team, we're we're uh, riding uh, Amstel Gold, uh, the Sportif, and uh, that's kind of like our introduction, our team presentation. Oh, wow! Uh, to the world. Uh, which will be great. It's uh, 240 case, I think, and it's you know the iconic Dutch race, I'd say. Yeah. Up uh, up the climb in Falkenburg. Um, so that'll be our big, you know, announcement to the world, and that's in in April. And from there, things are just gonna go by real quick. And uh, yeah, we're we're gonna be publishing a lot on our social media channels. That's really cool. You know, one of the things we did to prepare was I gave Lail Wilcox uh, a call. You know who she is? No, I don't. She's the ultra cyclist 
who does the ultra endurance, one of the best in the world, oh, regardless wow. of gender. Oh, she has won all the, the epic multi-stage. Yeah. Oh, I'm not hearing you. I yeah, I I just heard a little bit about what you were saying about her, and I I have to completely claim ignorance. I I haven't heard of her, and that's probably bad on my side. She was uh, the first American to win the Trans Am. She was also uh, the first woman to win the overall. Oh, wow. um, and so she does these insane, like, and I don't think she considers a ride a big ride unless it's at least, you know, 300 miles or something. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, I gave her a call. I was like, listen, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time on the bike and a lot of miles. What do I do? And and um, her insights were, were pretty unique um, <laughs> and uh, learned some things about, you know, how to prevent saddle sores and what do you eat on a bike that, you know, when it comes to that kind of distance, wow. the answer is very simple, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so experiment now with everything and just try to make sure everything's dialed in once you get to the actual event. Yeah. yeah. Listen to your body. All right. Yeah. But you should interview her. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to look her up as soon as I finish this. That's a great idea. So, yeah, when I told her about what we were doing, she's like, oh, that sounds amazing. I would want to do it, but fully self-supported because that's that's oh, how intense she is. Fully yeah. self-supported, plus she would ride the transfer stages on her bike as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So look for that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. What a cool event that would be. Kind of make that solo effort and stuff like that. Somebody. D- okay. I'm thinking far, way too far ahead. So uh, just, she's got you beat. She's got. She's there already. She's yeah. Like, okay, how can I do this? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay, just to wrap up, I always like to do this, and because I like people who've had a big history in cycling, and I like to throw a, a, a top ten little rapid fire questions. I hope you don't mind if we kind of throw these out there. These are general, but they. I like to get everybody's perspective. Okay, let's do it. Uh, all right, you ready? Nervous. Okay. No, this isn't too bad. Well, there might be one. But, um, okay. So, for example, number one, in your opinion, the greatest cyclist of all time? Mariano Bosch. I thank you. I agree. Okay, especially when it comes to wins and things like that. Uh, number two, best bike you have ever owned? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it was my Ridley Crossfire. Oh, okay. Yeah, that thing, I traveled with that everywhere. I loved that cross bike. Really? Okay. Uh, best place, and you can't pick your hometown, to ride your bike? Mm, uh, you know, my favorite place I've ridden was in Norway. Uh, really? It was a, yeah, I went there for, to cover the World Championships a couple years ago. Um, and so I brought my bike, obviously, and I rode, it was like 100 miles or so around Vossen up north. Um, and there was just, you know, fjords everywhere, waterfalls everywhere. It oh, was man. just absolutely beautiful. Oh, man. Uh, best what I call pre and post. So best way to start before a ride and best way to reward yourself after a ride. Coffee before, beer after. Okay. Now we got to get specific. What type of coffee and what type of beer? <laughs> mm, uh, <laughs> dark roast coffee made in an AeroPress. Oh. And... Mm, beer. Uh, I mean, I live in Portland, yeah. So you can't go wrong with with, with beer in Portland. Uh, I'm gonna go with Breakside. Break- That's one that came to mind. Okay, is it is it, a Breakside you- at like maybe a, a a hazy IPA? Okay, you're into the hazies. Okay, I uh, that's that tells me something. Uh, <laughs> arrow bars on gravel. Yes, no, or hell no. Uh, 
do whatever makes your ride more comfortable. Okay, I'll let you off the hook. Um, <laughs> your personal hero? Uh, it's not a cyclist. It is Anesma Holland. She was a suffragette and a journalist and just an all-around badass yeah. athlete and person. Okay, I'm looking her up as soon as I get the opportunity. Uh, and this is the controversial one. Biggest jerk you've ever worked with or interviewed? Oh, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't have to answer that one if you don't want it. Because you, yeah, someone you, comes uh, to mind right away, but I, I don't really want to say that okay. on, on record. All right, we'll fill in the blank. If uh, Speaking of fill in the blank, if it weren't for cycling, I'd be blank. Oh, if you had to finish that sentence. Um, Activity-wise or career-wise? Anything. You, you, whatever pops into your head. That's what makes the game fun. Yeah, I, I would probably just be a political journalist. So. Really? Okay. Okay. I always say, you know, a, a fat kid because that's what I was before I started bike racing. <laughs> uh, best piece of equipment you own? Uh, my Wahoo. Oh, okay. I do a lot of, yeah, I do a lot of adventuring uh, and a lot of unknown routes and a lot of gravel out here where there's, you just don't know what you're going to come across. And the new Wahoo Roam is great. It does offline rerouting. It's it's by far my favorite piece of, of, queer, uh, of gear that I have. See, that's killing me because I bought a Wahoo this last summer, but I didn't. I bought it before the Rome came out or was available or something like that. And so now I'm. It's that constant. Wow, I got this, but oh, a new model comes out and it's already better. I mean, the I had the Bolt before that, and and the Element, both were great. Yeah. But yeah, the new Rome and the the offline capabilities, I I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, shit. Okay. Um, last one. Cycling would be so much better if it weren't for blank. The lack of money. Okay. okay. On the women's side, anyway. Yeah. No, absolutely. There may be too much money on the men's side. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we can follow you through uh, your Instagram. We can follow the events through Peloton L'Orange um, and that website as i as you said earlier is all in dutch right now but you guys are going to be updating that um i think peloton ranch also has their own instagram that's how i kind of found out about this and your involvement on it um first of all thank you for your time second of all man good luck this i think it's a really cool cause and it sounds like a really cool opportunity great yeah thank you very much it's uh i'm, I'm very much looking forward to it and and you're going to be involved with the colorado classic again this year yes I will, yeah. Awesome. Okay. And what other races are you kind of thinking are going to be a really great spectacle and people should obviously find ways to tune in and, and enjoy? The Olympics. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a big year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Right on. Well, um, again, thanks for your time, and I can't wait to hear how things go. Great. Thanks so much, Patrick. So there you are. An, an issue that goes beyond just simply us versus them, I think, as I said earlier. Um, it, women's cycling is not just about, as as my good friend Amanda Batty says, it's not just about 
taking a frame, painting it pink, and and calling it a different type because it because it's that's what it's supposed to be. That's not kowtowing. That's not that that is kowtowing. That's catering to a a, a, a simple, stupid answer to a very complex question. And I think what what Anne Maria and and all the other people involved in this event are are trying to do is is you know it might not make an immediate change overnight, but some girl's going to watch them alongside the tour this year and maybe decide she wants to be a bike rider. Bike racer, sure, but bike rider. So, you guys, I'm on their GoFundMe page, and if if you will humor me, I'm going to do a cold read of this thing. They're trying to raise money for this trip, and uh, they they actually, if you scroll down on the Peloton Orange uh, GoFundMe, it's uh, they have it. Fortunately for people like you and me, in English, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read that copy for you here, if you don't mind. We Peloton Orange, a group of ten women are going to ride the tour, and they put the tour in quotations. One day ahead of the men's peloton because a women's peloton on the tour doesn't exist yet. By taking on this amazing challenge, we, they, aim to draw attention to equal opportunities in sport to make this happen. They need money. And that's why for the last six years, women have been riding the same exact route one day ahead of the official tour, showcasing that women, too, can conquer this ultimate physical and mental challenge. In 2020, more than 30 women will ride the tour divided across a French team, an English team, and this new Dutch team, Peloton Orange. By taking on their own challenge, they aim to draw attention to equal opportunities in sport. You guys, that tells you something right there. That's pretty cool. I'm not saying you got to you know donate a paycheck. I'm not saying anything like that. If you got a couple shekels lying around, make your cup of coffee at home and donate the rest to these guys. And then follow them. I'm going to be following them. I think it's going to be really cool. It's a bucket list thing for me. Could you imagine being able to ride the tour the entire route? Could you imagine being able to do it? Um, that that in alone it tells you something right there. So go on. Check them out. See what you think. I'm not pressuring you, but if you don't, I'm never talking to you again. Speaking of which, I will be talking to you again. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media. You can, you can find the podcast on pretty much any platform where podcasts can be found. If you feel like giving us a ranking or a rating, go ahead and do it. If you are headed to Paris-Roubaix and the Tour of Flanders this year, come find us. I'm going to be the guy waving the pack filler flag. Catch you next time.